scripture reading this morning is John 3, 19 through 21. And this, the judgment, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Good morning, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you're doing well this morning. I hope that um, you have been encouraged and uplifted by the songs that we're singing in order to edify and encourage one another in the most holy faith. It's so good to have you, both our members and our visitors, with us this morning. This past week, our city council at Dripping Springs, declared in a charter for the city and on behalf of the city that June would be declared and celebrated as Pride Month within the city of Dripping Springs. For those of you who aren't aware, Pride Month is the month that is used to celebrate, instituted to celebrate homosexuality and the LGBT agenda, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Some of you were made aware of this because it was made very public on our city's Facebook page. And on their post for the picture, it read, Inclusion is vital to achieve true unity, and the city is committed to promoting visibility, dignity, and equality for all LGBTQ people in our community. During the upcoming month of June and throughout the year, the city council invites everyone to reflect on ways that we can all live together and work together with a commitment to cultivate respect, compassion, and understanding within our community. This statement and the subsequent decision came as a surprise to some, maybe not so much to others who have been watching the trends of where our area and where our city has been, been moving towards over the past few years. But of course, as I read this, I was, I was somewhat bothered, not somewhat, very bothered by it, because there were several assumptions that were made within this statement and within this post, and you can read the charter still online, I believe. Number one, it assumed that our city was unwilling to work with and to show dignity to those who are of a homosexual preference or bisexual that there has been dignity or disrespect shown in our community, that there is an aggression against those within our community, which is certainly not the case. But not only that, but that's not really the issue, because the issue was not really, and if you read the charter, you understand this, and if you understand the mentality behind Pride Month in general, you understand this. It's not about working together as neighbors within a coexisting community, within businesses and things of that like, but it is about celebrating and embracing this particular lifestyle and lauding it as good and as acceptable. And we live in a cultural moment in which one is ostracized and attacked 
if you do not give absolute deference and submission to those who are within this vein. The vast majority of our culture not only supports it, but celebrates it. And I thought it was very naive for our city council to think that this type of aggression was a part of our community anyways. But what it also implied, just by making that statement, and by making this official within our own city, was that those who hold a traditional biblical ethic concerning marriage and who view sexual activities, homosexual activities, and the ones that are mentioned within this charter as sinful before God and against the will of God, it implied that we subsequently hate and disrespect those who live this way. And by instituting and celebrating these activities, our city not only shows support for these lifestyles, but celebrates them, something that as a church we simply cannot do. This type of thinking fosters the belief that to disagree with someone means that we hate them. Or to say that someone is sinning against God, that we wish their destruction, when in fact it is far from that. The message of the gospel is good news that speaks salvation for all sinners who are under the wrath and the judgment of God, which includes everyone in this building this morning. But if there is good news that is needed, there is bad news that must be heeded. And the bad news is that we are all sinners before God, Romans 3 and verse 23. And we are all children of wrath by nature, Ephesians 2 and verse 3. And we are under the justice and the condemnation of a holy God and that no sinner can inherit eternal life, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And in the list of the various sins that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 11, are those who practice homosexuality. Paul mentions this as well in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Now, ironically, within that list of sins in Romans chapter 1, which lists a variety of different sins, not simply homosexuality, he gets to the end in verse 32, and he said, the ones that are condemned are not just those who practice them, but as he says in verse 32, but also approve of those who practice them. He said, so it's not just about you practicing these sins and therefore you are under the condemnation of God. But if you approve of those who practice them, if you support this lifestyle, if you embrace this lifestyle, if you uphold this lifestyle, whatever sin it may be, you are just as much condemned. And so that is where we find ourselves today. Our stance that homosexuality and lesbianism and bisexuality and transgenderism and a host of others are sins against God that must be repented of in order to inherit eternal life. It is not a singling out of one particular sin or set of sins above another. But rather it is a response to our cultural moment and the rampant promotion of sexual preferences that are against the will of God.
If our city, for example, was promoting adultery pride month or celebrating, instituting a celebration of drunkenness or racism, we would just as much speak out against that. But unfortunately, we find ourselves here. And this opposition to this is viewed as controversial. It's viewed as divisive, which I personally was accused of when I decided to speak out against it on the city council Facebook post by a variety of people. And so viewed as as divisive by the city, that you're even speaking out against this. You're the divisive one. But it kind of reminded me of when Ahab came to Elijah and accused him of being the troubler of Israel. And Elijah told Ahab, I am not the troubler of Israel, but you are, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 18. If as the church we are simply affirming what the church has always stood for, for over 2,000 years of church history, and what our nation has traditionally stood for, and nations around the world have historically stood for, and our council in this city is intentionally and publicly rejecting that and claiming to speak for the entire city, who is really being the divisive one? Of course, the Lord warns us that such false accusations would be made against us in Matthew 5 and verse 11, so that is no surprise. But if there is such confusion, if there is such confusion that is imminent and misunderstanding and from the world and those around us, and if it's viewed as divisive, why even talk about this? Why even comment? Why even uh, bring it up? Why even preach on it? Well, for a few reasons. Number one, I think that in moments like this, we need to clarify our own convictions. What do we actually believe? And number two, I believe it is the responsibility of the church to hold power accountable. Number three, to speak out to our community itself. And number four, to encourage perseverance within the church. I just want to look at those few things real quickly this morning with you. Number one, to clarify our own conviction. Whenever things like this happen, especially when they are are in our own backyard, it's easy to think, man, is what I believe actually true? Is what I believe actually right? Because, I mean, when you have opposition from someone way off in D.C. or way off in New York, it's one thing. But when you have opposition from your own town and with your neighbors and with the people that you work with and with the people that you go to school with, That's a completely different thing. And that type of opposition can create a lot of self-doubt within the church. Is what we actually believe true? And now, we don't have time to explore this entire subject uh, this morning. I've addressed it in other sermons that are posted on our website that you can look at. We need to be sure that we understand what God's word says about such lifestyles. And that they are, in fact, sinful and thus against the will of God. For example, the biblical narrative begins with the God's plan for creation. It begins with both a male and a female, two completely unique, complementary genders which are meant to experience sexual union and the committed relationship of marriage. Genesis 1 and verse 27, Genesis 2 and verse 24. And at the end of this creation, he looks at this situation with Adam and Eve and the relationship that they have, and he says, this is very good. This is very good. 
And so this is God's plan from the beginning for procreation and flourishing of the human race. The sexual unity that they experience is affirmed scripturally. It is affirmed biologically. It is affirmed naturally. In fact, this is why Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 26 that homosexuality is against nature. It's not simply against God's special revelation within his word, but it is against his natural revelation that is experienced within creation. It is biologically incompatible, and therefore it is against nature itself. That's what Paul means there. Jude refers to it as unnatural desires or perverse desires in Jude 7. But within God's creation, he declared heterosexual monogamous relationships to be very good. And so, therefore, any departure from that is a perversion. God, in his own right, out of his own creation, out of his own nature, brought forth a good world and a good creation. And by that, it is inherently good. And so any departure from what is good, any distortion of what is good, is viewed as perverse. And so we follow the path of our Lord. In declaring the works of the world as evil. In John chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus' brothers are mocking him. They say, are you going to go up to Jerusalem, show off your works? They didn't believe him at this point. And he said, the world cannot hate you because you're of the world. But the world hates me because I declare that its works are evil. For far too long, the church has been too comfortable with sitting in silence as evil runs rampantly through the streets because we are afraid of being hated by the world. And we don't seek out hatred for its own ends. But if we're hated for the right things and standing in accord with Jesus Christ, then we stand in good company. We expose the unfruitful works of darkness, Ephesians 5 and verse 11, so that we can direct people towards the life giving forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ. And this is what I mean also by clarifying our convictions because we want to make sure that we understand the gospel as well. That this is not just throwing a grenade out there and trying to condemn people and then run away. But we're trying to let people see the sin within their own lives so that they turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. That we recognize we are all sinners and we need the forgiveness. I might not struggle with that sin. I struggle with other sins. But I can't do anything that's going to make you feel comfortable in this sin because it doesn't turn you towards Jesus Christ. I want you to see that Jesus loves you and that he wants to forgive you and that you need him. But with the cross of Jesus, God extends his love towards sinners and he receives us as we renounce our sin and accept his gift of grace. But what this also means, and this is our warning for us this morning as we clarify our own convictions that we must never allow our frustrations with such actions to excuse rudeness, bitterness, and hatred on our part. We must also always respond to others with love and gentleness and respect because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1 and verse 20. And so we must clarify our convictions about these things. Number two, we want to hold power accountable. What do I mean by that? Historically speaking, the church, as the church progressed through the Roman Empire, it found itself increasingly coming into contact with political authority. 
And, and that's no surprise, really, because that's where Jesus ended up. He ended up in front of the governor. He ended up in front of the Roman powers that be in front of the religious authorities. And so as the church expanded, it became, became more and more contact with people in authority. But the early church held two teachings of Jesus in balance as they confronted political powers. And those two teachings are found in John 18, verses 36 and 37, when Jesus is speaking to Pilate. Notice what he says here. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this person, purpose I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So these two truths, number one, the truth that the church held in balance was that they understood that their kingdom was not of this world and therefore it did not operate as the world. It wasn't going to fight and to use power as a means of subjugating other individuals under the will of God and bringing them under the church by force, even though others perverted that and used that as the means throughout history. But Jesus and the early church understood that. And so when they would confront political powers, it wasn't about getting a band together and overthrowing the powers that be because their kingdom wasn't of this world. But what they also understood was that even though their kingdom was not of this world, they still bore a responsibility to testify to the truth, to speak the truth to power. That's exactly what Jesus did, and that's exactly what the early church did, reminding those powers that be that they are beholden to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. And through the Spirit within us, God convicts the world of sin. John chapter 16 and verse 8. This, for example, is why we witness Paul, whenever he's standing before Felix in Acts chapter 24 and 25, what does he talk to Felix about? He convicts him of righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. So much so that Felix trembles. I don't know what was in Paul's sermon, but it's something that made a Roman official tremble. And so whenever the kingdom of Satan expands his influence into positions of power, especially when they are in our own backyard, it is our responsibility to lovingly but firmly say, that is not the will of God for Dripping Springs. We have been doing a series through the Lord's Prayer, and we've been talking about how we should pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we have responsibilities at times to where we are to say, this is not the will of God for the world. This is not his will for the world. Number three, my desire in this and our desire is to speak to our community. In the past, whenever things like this would happen, professing Christians throughout our community would have stood together in a single voice in defiance of such actions. But sadly, that is not the case anymore. Many churches now, I fear, in this case and in many others, are either hesitant to speak out against such things for fear of being misunderstood, or they simply embrace those who are practicing such lifestyles. And in responding in this way, I hope that those who hear and love the truth, as Jesus said, those who love the truth are of his flock, who hear and love the truth, that 
There is at least one church in Dripping Springs who stands on the traditional biblical teaching when it comes to God's word. And my hope is that, uh, as Billy Graham once said, I love this quote, he said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spine of others are often stiffened. And it's our hope and it's a desire as a church that as other professing Christians hear us speak out against this or say, this isn't the will of God for Dripping Springs, that others will be encouraged and strengthened by that and stand against the tide that is coming within our, and has come within our city. And then finally, to encourage perseverance. When Hebrews was written, when the book of Hebrews was written, we just went through Hebrews recently, it was written to a church who was worn down by social pressures. They were viewed as social pariahs. They were ready to give in. They'd been cut out of the marketplace. They were being rejected by all mankind. And the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39, he says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I think that the church in today's world needs that same message, that great endurance is needed. Now, thankfully, we haven't been brought to the moment that our brethren have faced in past hours, but there's no doubt that the present hour does bring its own social pressures if we allow it. And I'm not trying to minimize what we've done. I need to put it into perspective, but we certainly haven't endured what our brethren have in the past, haven't even gotten close to that point. And yet we still cannot miss out on our present moment to boldly speak the truth of God and hold fast to the word of life in a crooked and perverse generation. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. And so I want to challenge you to speak up, to speak out with love, with clarity, with grace, with conviction, when the name and the will of God is challenged. We are in the battle for the souls of men. And the light of Christ must shine to show a better way. A way of truth, a way of goodness, a way of beauty, and a way of true and genuine love. I love our city. And I hate to see it affirm and applaud such a destructive, sinful lifestyle. And we love our homosexual neighbors, and we work alongside them and serve with them in our community, and we serve them as image bearers because we care for them, we care for their souls. And if you're here this morning and you struggle with that or you're living in that lifestyle, I want you to know that the Lord loves you deeply, so much so that he gave his son for your sins as he gave his son for my sins as well. Generally speaking, within a group this size, There are some who are struggling with same-sex attraction or maybe gendered confusion and things of that nature. And and you're really confused about those feelings and those struggles and you don't feel comfortable speaking to someone. I want to let you know that you can come and talk to me. I want to help you. I want to love you in whatever way I can to help you as you try and follow Christ in that particular struggle.
I may not understand it, but I want to be your strength and I want to be your aid and your help in that struggle. And so we love you and God loves you and God loves our neighbors, but we cannot and we must not in good conscience condone actions which will prevent them from entering the eternal pleasure of our Creator. I read a quote from Jordan Peterson this last week, and many of you are aware of him and some of the things that he teaches and does. But I, I like this quote. He said, conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. Conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. I like that. Sadly, these conflicts have been delayed for far too long out of fear of rejection, out of fear of being misunderstood. But the light must shine in the darkness. And we must reject the comfort of silence and move resolutely into the field of spiritual conflict for the sake of the world. We are against the world for the sake of the world. And may God give us strength to meet our present hour. Let us pray. Our holy and righteous God, almighty and good Father, loving, gracious, and merciful, Lord, we stand before you as sinners in need of your grace every hour. Lord, we cling to the cross, knowing that it is only by your righteousness and not our own that we are saved. And we know, Father, at times, in moments like this, it can be confusing as to know how and when to stand up and say something and, and when to serve. And, Lord, there's a lot of confusion in the present hour for the church, and we pray for your wisdom. We pray, Father, that you will guard our hearts against bitterness and resentment and frustration, and that we will seek to love and show mercy to everyone around us. And we pray that we will direct people towards the life-giving message of Christ and out of the brokenness of sin and wickedness that resides within the hearts of men. We pray, Father, that you will help the church worldwide to meet the, meet the present hour with faith, to meet the present hour with boldness and love, and to speak our convictions with clarity, to know what we believe and why we believe it, and to help others to see the light of Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Would you please be standing as we sing.